0: This podcast is developed by Bridge Bio to educate ourselves and the public about living
1: with a rare disease.
0: Since our guests aren't scripted and are free to speak their minds, their views and opinions don't necessarily reflect the views and policy of Bridge Biopharma. Now, we hope you enjoy the podcast.
1: Welcome to On Rare, a rare disease podcast produced by Bridge Bio, a biotech company that focuses on developing treatments for rare diseases. I'm your host, Mandy Rorick, a member of the patient advocacy team, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, David Rintel, head of patient advocacy. Hi, David.
0: Hi, Mandy. Thank you very much. Very excited about uh, interviewing today's guest.
1: I am too. Today we get to visit with Jay. Jay lives with a condition called erythropoietic protoporphyria or EPP. It's a condition that's characterized by really intense and severe pain upon exposure to sunlight. Before we get to talk with Jay, let's talk to Dr. Bavik Shah. He will help us understand a little bit more what EPP is. Yeah.
0: Mandy EPP is a condition that is not very well known, not very well understood by most of us. I, for one, went out, took a walk in the sun this morning and really felt rejuvenated by it. But people with EPP, when the sun is shining, really need to be very cautious about exposure to the sun. So let's hear more about it. It's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Bhavik Shah to OnRare. He's the Vice President of Research for Genetic Medicine at Portal Therapeutics, which is a bridge bio-affiliate working on erythropoietic
2: porphyria. Hi, Babik. How are you doing today? Hi, David. Great to be here. Uh, thank you for the introduction.
0: Yeah, thank you very much for helping us understand. Uh, I'm just going to say EPP because it's so hard to pronounce erythropoietic porphyria and much harder to live with it, I'm sure. Absolutely. So, Bobak, if we start from the very beginning, most rare diseases are genetic uh, disorders, and is that uh, true for EPP?
2: Yes, EPP is a genetic indication caused by autosomal recessive mutations in a gene that codes for an enzyme. Now enzyme is a protein that converts one chemical into another. This particular genetic condition results in an excessive buildup of an intermediate called PP9 and blood. So as blood passes through blood vessels under the skin, PP9 absorbs lights. It sets off a chemical reaction, which results in excruciating pain and burning sensation. Now it's important to understand that the type of light that PP9 absorbs is a bit different than the type of light that causes a sunburn.
0: So and an autosomal recessive genetic disorder means that both parents need to be carriers of a gene, but people can be carriers of a rare condition without anyone in the family ever developing this condition. So I'm guessing it comes as a surprise to families when a child Develops EPP.
2: Yes, exactly right, David.
0: So, Babak, that was very clear, and I want to make sure I understand. There's a genetic mutation that causes a change in an enzyme, and that causes a person with EPP to have much more of this stuff called PP9. And PP9 circulates in the blood. It is highly sensitive to light. When PP9 is exposed to light, it sets off a reaction that causes pain in the area of the skin, excruciating pain. Have that right?
2: No, exactly right, David.
0: Is it just pain or is there also a visible change on the skin or can it be either?
2: So it's, it's usually non-blistering pain. So you won't see blisters, but upon multiple sunlight exposure, which often patients refrain from because they are very sensitive once they go through that pain, mm-hmm. they do have some marks on their skin.
0: So an exposure to Strong sunlight, for example, causes not just pain, but it also could cause a change in the skin, a mark that could
2: remain. A repeated exposure, absolutely. I see.
0: I'm guessing this varies a bit from person to person, but how much sun can cause that? How much exposure to sun can cause it? I think,
2: great question. Mm -hmm. Person to person, the sensitivity to sunlight is a bit different. Mm -hmm. Different people may have a different mutation that may cause a different level of defect in the enzyme, but typically, Individuals with EPP can be under the sun only for a few minutes, handful of minutes.
0: Wow. Very difficult to uh, live life without being able to be under the sun. Uh, Absolutely. And is there any other type of light that causes the PP9 to react in this way?
2: No, it's, it's essentially the UVA or a visible light. And uh, mostly,
0: does this start to occur in childhood?
2: So it is usually first noted in childhood, David. So roughly around age of one or yeah. two.
0: We've heard so far in a previous podcast that it is pretty difficult to diagnose this condition.
2: Absolutely. Usually children with this sort of symptoms, they are often overlooked. And to be honest, a lot of doctors are not aware of these conditions either. A specialist dermatologist knows about it. And, and for diagnosis, there are essentially a few types of blood yeah. tests yeah. verified by eventually genetic tests.
0: Uh, You know, EPP can be extremely limiting. Most of us don't think twice about going out in the sun, or if we think about it, we think, oh, how great, it's sunny out. I love going for a walk, you know, before I start work, expose myself to the sun and feel better. And people with EPP just have the opposite. They have to really be very cautious. Again,
2: like you said, I do want to belabor a point that, you know, there is a marked impairment in the quality of life.
0: And Bhavik, after exposure to the sun, a person experiences uh, pain. How long does the pain last? Does it eventually subside?
2: This is actually a really interesting question, David. After a few minutes, they get specific symptoms, burning, itching, tingling, which serves essentially as a warning signal. If individuals choose to stay for longer under sunlight, that's when they have this phototoxic attacks in form of excruciating pain, which may last for days. Mm -hmm. It's important to note that pain medications Mm -hmm. is not going to work on this patient. So it it is very debilitating. Many of these patients essentially develop Mm -hmm. this fear after this phototoxic attack and just avoid going into sunlight. And this is what essentially results in this market reduction or or impairment in quality of their life, where Mm -hmm. they can't do day-to-day functions. Right.
0: And by phototoxic, Photo being light and toxic being kind of poisonous, right? Yes. So that's the being poisoned by the light.
2: Absolutely. I think it's a great way to say that. Which is a very frightening
0: thing to think about. So I understand that EPP can really reduce quality of life and you have to be extremely cautious about exposure to the sun. How do people manage this condition?
2: you know, as you can imagine, it's sensible to essentially avoid the unnecessary exposure to the light. And and the most obvious first line of measures that patients take it includes wearing a protective clothes. Now, I do want to point out that sunscreen is not effective because it is designed for mm. sunburns, which is, like I said earlier, it's a different type of light that causes you sunburn.
0: And Bhavik, is there any currently available treatment for this condition, either preventive or to treat the damage done by sun exposure?
2: Yes, there is one approved treatment for EPP. It essentially works by increasing pigmentation in your skin. What that does is create a type of a barrier between blood that flows into your superficial skin, blood vessels, and the light this treatment mm-hmm. have shown improvement in sunlight sensitivity, but only it adds few additional minutes mm. of pain-free exposure mm-hmm. to sunlight. There is, I think there is a still huge amount of unmet need that needs to be resolved. Yeah.
0: So there's really a need for a better treatment that would enable people to regain quality of life by being able to be exposed longer to the sun, like the rest of us. Absolutely. Thank you. This has been really helpful, Bobek. And as we listen to Jay, I think this introduction will be very, very useful.
2: Okay. I hope I hope it listens well. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Oh, wonderful.
0: I'm really pleased to welcome Jay to our podcast. Jay is a person living with erythropoetic protoporphyria, or EPP. Welcome, Jay.
3: Thank you so much for having me, David. It's uh, it's an honor to be here.
0: We are honored by your presence and very grateful you're joining us. Thank you. I like to start at the beginning. So what do you recall as the first moment that anything that you now connect to this condition entered your life?
3: Well, I was diagnosed at age seven years old uh, by a pediatric dermatologist in Connecticut where I grew up. You know, My memories of having porphyria before knowing you know, formally what it was extend much earlier than that and probably even pre-verbally and some of the earlier memories you know i've been relayed by my parents who you know definitely saw that i was uh suffering from something Mm. you know some of my earliest memories you know being a child in kindergarten or first grade and not being able to uh, be outside in gym class Mm. or be outside for long periods of time during recess due to exposure to the sun
0: Yeah. And what did you think was going on and what did the adults tell you about being outside during that time? pre-diagnosis
3: I just knew that being outside for too long resulted in a pretty severe pain and sort of a burning stinging pain on my skin and, and mm-hmm. most often on the kind of the backs of my hands the tops of my hands and on my face where the most severe reactions would occur I think part of the challenge was when I was growing up was that the symptoms are, are not always visible in EPP and that made it difficult mm-hmm. for me to convey the pain and the symptoms I was experiencing mm-hmm. when I was younger to to physicians that my parents would bring me to. And so, yeah. uh, you know, I knew something was going on just at the level of pain and experience, but because the symptoms are not always visible, you know, I kind of went through a, a train of, of, of doctors mm-hmm. uh, before I finally came to this pediatric dermatologist that ultimately diagnosed me.
0: Yeah. Before you go on, I just want to make note of this. So you experienced pain in your skin after spending time outdoors, but your symptoms were not visible. So in other words, there was nothing showing on your skin. And you go and see a physician or someone and they don't see anything.
3: That That's exactly right. In uh-huh. some cases, in a very severe, prolonged reaction, I would get some degree of swelling, some degree of of redness, you know, maybe some marks from scratching at my skin. So in some cases, it, it was evident. And my mm-hmm. my mom had captured, you know, I think a number of photos from some of those more severe reactions, which she would bring to the doctor and I think would sort of at least add a little bit of credence or give them some idea yeah. that. You know maybe this was something truly medical going on Uh uh, rather than say maybe some sort of anxiety disorder or something like that which uh, i think at one point it was mistaken for so Mm. but yes generally speaking Mm -hmm. the symptoms were not and are not readily visible even though the the pain is quite real Uh and
0: you mentioned that you had on your own come to the conclusion or the suspicion that it was related to exposure to the sunlight i wonder if you could tell us how you came to that conclusion
3: yeah Uh, It's a great question. And I, in some (laughs) ways I would be lying if I could remember in Mm -hmm. specifics, how I, you know, how that came to be. I think, you know, when I was very young and this is relayed by my parents, I think there were a number of times where they had brought me to the beach or to a park and I would, you know, scream and cry and I wouldn't be able to sleep for nights and, you know, they didn't know what was going on. And I think probably at age, three or four. I actually used to love playing out in a little sandbox on the the back deck of the house growing up. Mm. And I loved the you know, construction and trucks and those types mm. of things. And depending on the time of day, I would be more exposed to the sun than others. And I would have to imagine that was probably one of the more evident contexts in which I could start to develop some cause and effect relationship between the sun and, and the pain that I was feeling. Beyond that, it was probably experiences of just being outside with my older sister or with friends and kind of recognizing, you know, hey, if, if I have my hand or my foot in the sun for too long, it really starts to get pretty hot. And I'm looking around and it doesn't seem like anybody else is it's feeling the same same degree of heat or pain that I am. Your parents
0: am. are not on the podcast with us. And if they were, I would ask them, you know, what what they made of this. And I wonder if you remember them taking seriously your complaints about pain after being outside and What they thought, I know your mom, you mentioned that your mom took some photos, so clearly, what do you recall about how your parents talked to you about this? Mm,
3: my poor parents. You know, I would really have to get the the full story from them, but they certainly took me serious uh, seriously from the start. I think they had a very difficult time understanding, especially at the beginning, what was going on. I think it was probably pretty evident to them from the first few severe reactions, where symptoms were visible, so swelling, redness, those types of things that lasted for yeah. a number of days, rather than. You know, hours, but whether it was an allergy to something or some other insult or hypersensitivity to to nature that I was experiencing, but Mm -hmm. I do think that the chain or train of doctors that I had mentioned before that I had seen before coming to a to a diagnosis is evidence that, of course, my parents took it seriously enough to try to figure out what was what was going on. Mm. Um, I can only imagine what it must have been like to feel helpless to to make me feel better other than, you know, over time, you know, they also put together and I became able to communicate that it had something to do with the sun.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm sure that was difficult for your parents and for you as well. So many rare conditions like prophyria are difficult to diagnose. Seeing is believing. And when you can't see, it's very difficult to figure it out, to trust what you're hearing for the physicians. Wow. You noticed that you were different than other kids. They weren't having pain from the sun. Do you remember any other reaction, It Scott? I imagine it was really frustrating that an activity that you really loved, like playing in the sandbox, resulted in your experiencing pain. No explanation for it.
3: Absolutely. And in my direct experience as in a lot of ways, the bigger issue at hand, so to speak. The physical pain is obviously not pleasant and is challenging to endure and to know that you will experience Mm -hmm. it if you do something as as simple as go outside for for too long but there's definitely this deeper you know psychological and emotional impact that porphyria definitely has had in my experience and one interesting kind of peculiarity i would say of epp is that the symptoms are not evident to other people it's it provides kind of an interesting contrast or paradox of generally speaking i look like anyone else Walking down the street. And yet I could be in the midst of a reaction um, or or I could Mm. be fully concentrating on trying to avoid a reaction or getting to a spot of shade out of the sun, those types of things. And so it is a very internal, uh, Mm. very internal disease, I would say. Mm. A lot of the experience of having EPP is about avoiding pain, is about uh, managing the pain while you're around other people or trying to get things done, even though that pain is not evident to to others. So
0: so you mentioned that there's really a significant psychological and emotional aspect to living with porphyria, with EPP. So could you tell us about that?
3: There are... Anxiety and fear are probably built into the disease foundationally for me in my experience. And that's really rooted pretty deeply in the avoidance of pain. Uh, Exposure to the sun over the course of my life, you know, 32 years definitely trains you to be very vigilant about anything that could cause a reaction. And I think there's a lot of anxiety that in my experience has has developed from that. Fear and anxiety are a, a big part of it. You know, Mm it does have, I mean, my life, it's had uh, significant effects in terms of, you know, how I viewed myself from a very young age and how I related to myself Mm -hmm. and my place in the world. You know, I think it took me a long time to sort of figure out how I could reconcile with with the disease that I have.
0: Yeah. So can you share how you did view yourself? Yeah, I think...
3: Um, when I was young, a lot of, um, shame and disgust were probably dominant emotions, which, you know, those are pretty strong words and I, I almost hesitate to use them just because I, you know, obviously there's a certain degree mm. of vulnerability that I'm, <laughs> that I'm, uh, signing up for here and talking about it. But I, yeah, I think I saw this, these inabilities, uh, not mm. being able to do the things that other kids were doing and sometimes, you know, catching flack for it or being made fun of for it, I think reflected that back on me as mm. yet being less than or not being good enough. I felt like I was missing a key part of myself that mm. would allow me to do what everyone else could do.
0: Yeah, As if this was a choice or was like, well, I can't do it and I'm different than other kids and that makes me less than or not as good. as." Exactly.
3: And, you know, rationally, it doesn't, of course, doesn't make too much sense, but I think when those sorts of things come on the brainwaves when you're young. It's hard to rationally sort them out.
0: Absolutely. So the kind of limitations that are imposed by EPP became part of the way that you thought about yourself and it resulted in feeling shame and sometimes disgust, which is a very strong word. But I am grateful that you're being straight with us. I think that's really important that we learn about that going to guess that your experience was not that different than other kids who are living with EPP who also felt like, oh, I'm really different. I can't do things that other kids can do and I'm not as good as them.
3: Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Isolation, the feeling of loneliness was definitely predominant in my experience as a kid. And, you know, even through adolescence and in some ways adulthood, there's a certain degree to which it's hard to fully understand what that person was experiencing.
0: Right. Yeah. You, know, you talk about a deep emotional experience, how you think about yourself, but to the rest of us, you look fine. I'm sitting looking right at you. You look completely fine. And uh, I imagine it's really hard for people to get. And again, isolating because you live in a society of sun worshippers. and, you know, think of the first warm, sunny day. For those of us who live in the northern part, people go out to feel that the warm rays of the sun and you, for you, you know, those rays are like poison to you. And That's your kryptonite, as uh, Superman might say. And uh, there must have been times when you really felt really isolated due to the way that you have needed to live to uh, protect yourself from the sun.
3: Right. I mean, in some sense, it's been my mortal enemy for all my life. It's been very odd for me to look at people and imagine what it likes for the sun to feel good, right? it has seemed impossible, I think, in a lot of ways uh, that it it would be something that could be enjoyable. What well, you know, what does that feel like to just, is it just a little bit warm? Is it is it the same thing as sort of being inside and indoor lights you don't even really notice? You know, it's, it's always been hard for me to sort of conceive of what it's like to have the sun on your skin without feeling scared that you're going to experience pain.
0: I want to go back to something that you talked about before, which was anxiety and I know that it doesn't always happen that when you feel anxiety, there are sort of words associated to it. But if you can imagine now your anxiety speaking and your fear, what words come to you?
3: It's interesting to think about. I think... One way in which I experience, I think, a sort of more general vague anxiety in my in my day to day experiences, even when I am inside and undercover, so to to speak, usually, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of the middle hours of the day from late morning to early afternoon, I think I tend to feel just a little bit more. Restless, um, a little bit more sort of, uh, you know, emotional vibration in those hours, mostly because, you know, that's when the sun tends to be highest and, and strongest, even though I am generally inside during those hours of the day. And that's something I've become more conscious of is that there seems to be a
0: sort of automatic response. It's as if the sun is your enemy, and you know that the sun at the beginning of the day starts out weaker and it's less threatening, but then it reaches its peak strength and it can really cause you harm. And even if you're not out in the sun, you're conditioned, you've habituated this alertness to what the sun is doing.
3: Exactly. No, that's exactly right. And on the flip side, I think the early morning and sort of dusk are calmer times i would say to add an extra layer to that i would say dusk even more so than dawn because in dawn the sun might be low and there might be big shadows to move between but i'm also understanding that it's going upward right at that point it's coming up into the sky uh, whereas dusk once it feels safe enough to, to be out there mm-hmm. for an extended period of time i know that it's only you know dropping further and further yeah, and the shadows yeah, are getting longer so dusk has always been mm-hmm. you know ever since i was a little kid the you know the best time of day because there's still enough light to enjoy what everyone else enjoys
0: i have you know i have to say that um i just find this really kind of profound that something that exists sunlight is part of our world and that it is such a threat to you i know this is going to sound strange, but I remember being young and I would go and get the newspaper on our front lawn. And I was worried that a tiger would come and get me. And (laughs) no tiger is living in New Jersey where I was living at that time. But it's almost as if you live among tigers and the tigers could get you at any moment if you dare to go out during the peak sunlight. No, that that's exactly right.
3: One thing I've verbalized to fellow EPP patients, you know, worries about avoiding pain, worries about avoiding the sun, do just seem to reserve, you know, a corner of mm-hmm. brain space yep. in permanence and that yep. just sort of in right. some ways narrow the rest of the space there is. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like, you know, you're operating with just a little bit less bandwidth. Yeah. You're always sort of thinking about this yeah. extra factor of
0: your attention is always divided between what's happening in front of you and your awareness of what's happening with the sun. That's exactly right. So Jay, tell us a little bit what your life is like in general, who are you and what are you up to? Mm.
3: I've always found who are you to be a a pretty profound question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ways to describe myself, you know, what I do from day to day, I've entered medical school but that certainly isn't, isn't the only descriptor. It's been a pretty circuitous path in my life to find myself where I am now. And you know I'm 32 years old. And before I came to medicine, a very odd zigzagging path uh, through everything from coaching college volleyball in my early 20s to working in the business world, working in uh, marketing and advertising, consulting. And uh, so, from a profession mm-hmm. standpoint, I've sort of been all over the place since since graduating uh, undergraduate school. But I'm also, you know, a son to two amazing parents and a, a brother to my older sister, Mariel. Uh, I'd like to think of myself first and foremost as just a mm-hmm. a good family member, someone who you know cares a lot about other people and the well being of other people. And I'm someone that I think is deeply mm-hmm. curious yeah. about the world. And I think you know a big part of that has been My experience Mm -hmm. having a chronic illness and having to navigate that, I think, has prompted me to ask a lot of questions about what life is about, what the world is about, how it works, how human biology works, how nature works, you know, and where to find meaning in all of those things as a way to relate to my fellow human beings.
0: That's a lovely answer, and I think what you point out is, you know, when you experience adversity in your life, for better or worse, you learn that, you know, life isn't easy. Most of us have our challenges, and the ones who don't are the ones who probably don't look (laughs) at their challenges or talk about them. So it makes you more open and sensitive to what the experiences are of others, and I love that. Thank you. Amy, were you going to say something? She wants you to marry her daughters, both of them. (laughs) 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 <laughs> you doing okay jake you're i'm doing great yeah i'd like is- to have you on every podcast that we do just so you know that um so pre-diagnosis you developed a good sense of what was going on and that it was the sun exposure that was causing this what happened where someone finally said oh i think i know what this is my
3: mom will probably correct me when she listens to this You know, I think it involved, you know, at least one pediatrician for sure saw another dermatologist before seeing the one that ultimately made the diagnosis. A neurologist might have been... Involved at some point, an allergist certainly, and I think also, which I understand to be not all that uncommon, was a psychiatrist, child psychiatrist, to evaluate, you know, something psychosomatic that this was something going on in my mind rather than, you know, in my body, so to speak. You know, what order those uh different specialists were in, I I don't recall, and um, I'm sure my mom has it, but ultimately was referred to this. Pediatric dermatologist at Yale New Haven Hospital in Connecticut, and I was the first patient that he had seen with EPP. I think on his evaluation, I think he had some suspicion, but hadn't had the experience of seeing a patient with EPP before, and so he had consulted a a colleague of his and had ordered some diagnostic tests that ultimately led to you know a solid really? diagnosis. When I was seven years old,
0: so the pediatric dermatologist had never seen someone with EPP, but he was attentive enough. And he believed you. That's right.
3: And one thing that I didn't mention earlier that, that I think is worth mentioning is over the course of my childhood, and now if, if you look very closely, particularly at the tops of my arms and my hands, you'd see a lot of very kind of small white scars that mm-hmm. accumulated over time from exposure. And I'm Caucasian. I'm fair-skinned. They're kind of hard to pick out because there's not a lot of contrast, uh, but I think he had a sharp enough eye to, to
0: see those yeah. and you know yeah. gain some suspicions. Oh. I'm so glad that you were able to find someone who recognized this. And any instructions from that doctor or subsequently, like how you're supposed to manage this?
3: Unfortunately, I mean, at that time, so that that would have been 1998. Eight, I think
0: there there were even fewer o- treatment
3: options than there are today, which is kind of wild because they're yeah, <laughs> yeah they're very few today. Yeah. But he suggested something called uh, beta carotene, which is an antioxidant. Mm-hmm. It's a molecule that you find in carrots that give them their orange color. This was something that had been mm-hmm. tested over time and mostly in, on the East Coast for EPP with varying results. So he he suggested trying beta carotene. The issue was these pills were were massive. They were like <laughs> horse pills, and you had to take six or or eight of them oh, a couple times a day and I just couldn't get them down as a kid. And so my, yeah, my poor parents, we tried everything of, like emptying the capsules uh, into, you know, a piece of fruit to eat that. And it was, you know, disgusting and I just couldn't, you know, get it down tolerate it. And even then, you know, even having done some version of a, you know, giving it, a, mm. giving it a fair shake, it really didn't seem to have mm. any positive effect and then the other thing was sunlight avoidance the main tactic if you can't avoid the sun is you know covering the parts of your body that that would otherwise be exposed
0: Uh so can you tell us what that involves i mean sun avoidance would mean that you stay indoors but what about so what's the protective action
3: you know, what it boils down to is is wearing long sleeves, wearing long pants in times of the year and in climates where most people are not <laughs> wearing those items of clothing, right? They're wearing shorts and t-shirts. What you find out very quickly in early experimentation with protective clothing, if you're someone with EPP, is that even, you know, a sliver of skin that is left exposed, say, between the, the end of a long sleeve shirt and the start of like a glove to cover your hands will get hit just as it will if it's fully uncovered. What that means mm-hmm. in specifics is you know, wearing long pants, um, always wearing closed-toed shoes, so never flip-flops. I think many people have learned that lesson painfully. My feet tend to be just mm-hmm. as sensitive as my hands and my face. Those are sort mm-hmm. of the three most sensitive areas of, of my body. Um, but long sleeves or even even a hoodie or a sweatshirt to help cover your neck, gloves for sure. And, and then if it's really about spending you know an extended period outside in the sun wearing not just a a wide brim hat but also uh, a mask i mean if you really want to shoot for no symptoms at all you know a mask that leaves pretty much nothing but you know your eyes mm-hmm. to see out of mm-hmm. which understandably many many people who might see you out like that may threatening um but yeah it, re- it really looks like just how you would imagine covering every part of your body would look like if you're going out to to ski in very cold temperatures.
0: So today or yesterday or tomorrow, you need to go out, do something with exposure to the sun. Is that what your practice is now or including the mask or? The
3: mask, I would say, is the most variable part of the protective (laughs) regime. I have have pretty severe sun sensitivity as far as EPP patients go, or at least for me, I generally have just a few minutes before I start to get kind of warning signs of mm-hmm. uh, an imminent reaction. And so I really do have to be careful and mindful about putting on protective clothing, even if it's for something as simple as running yeah. to the grocery store, which might be a total of 10 minutes in, in the car. And that's another point, which is, you know, even sunlight passing through glass can also incite a, incite a reaction. So if I'm going for a drive that's any longer than, you know, 15, 20 minutes I'll for sure have everything on, mm-hmm. including you know, gloves uh, for my hands, which yeah. have to, <laughs> obviously have to be on the steering wheel. But for anything longer than 15, 20 minutes, uh, we will usually yeah. wear a mask to, to prevent a reaction on my face yeah. or well. neck.
0: So you have a, a small window where you can use moderate protection. And beyond that, you need more protection. And a car offers little or no protection. So you have to count the time in the car. And whew, it's a lot deal with
3: yeah it's a lot to think about i use the term my son clock being aware of my son clock Mm -hmm. or my son bank account (laughs) and knowing that i you know i only have so many dollars to to spend by the end of the day if i don't want to get a reaction so yeah
0: it's like the um i don't know if they still use them but like x-ray techs would wear a little pin that measured exposure just to make sure that didn't go into the unhealthy range and it's exactly how it is although i doubt that there is any kind of sensor that provides that information and what else does it take for you to manage this.
3: Yeah. You know, Planning is kind of your next best tool and a very necessary tool is when am I going to do the things that I need to do and will I run into issues with the sun that may make that harder or may prevent mm-hmm. me from, from getting things done. So really thinking about you know what time of day mm-hmm. you may be running errands or commuting to work or, or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. I've developed a little bit of a sense of pride in my sense of direction because years of training of understanding <laughs> the sun's path and where it is uh, in the sky yeah. at certain times a year and just understanding that, hey, in the morning, if I'm living west of the place where I'm working, mm-hmm. I'm going to be driving directly wow. into the sun. And so there's going to be more light bouncing off the cars mm-hmm. in front of me, the road yeah. in front of me, up into my face that I need to leave at this time or yeah. it's better to yeah. find a place that's east of where I work or where I go to school so that I can drive against the, the sunlight.
0: I don't know if this is actually historically accurate, but I think the Aztecs worship the sun and you're the anti Aztec, right? <laughs> yeah. but with the same attentiveness to the sun. But, <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the same, yeah. Yes. The same respect. Yeah. And anything else? I mean, you're not getting a lot of vitamin D without sun exposure. And do you have to be attentive to that? And are there other aspects of care for EPP that? Would be helpful to know. That's a great question.
3: So I do take a vitamin D supplement as I think is recommended for most mm-hmm. EPP patients.
0: But as far as
3: other strategies, yeah. I mean, I think one thing that has done mm-hmm. me a lot of benefits or accepting to some degree the social perception that others may mm-hmm. have if you're wearing long sleeves or a hoodie and pants and gloves and a hat and or a mask in the middle of July I think that that aspect, which is not insignificant, of course, you know, we are we're social, we're social animals, and we, you know, care for better for for worse what other people mm-hmm. think, and um, that's important for a whole number of reasons. But you know, that hesitation to visualize, right, to kind of make it tangible and very evident mm-hmm. to others that I'm different is you know, was an an impediment to taking all the measures that would be prudent to take in order to avoid a reaction.
0: Yeah, I imagine that there are people who just, it's just too embarrassing to be so covered up for sort of social desirability, don't do it, and then they, they really pay the price afterwards. Oh, yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, that. then that was something doing I've done many times, which is just, you know, what I'm just going to pay the price and I'm probably going to regret it later. But I'd rather not feel embarrassed for, you know, yeah. this picnic i've been invited to or this event for school or whatever it is and that is a shame because i think there are a lot of painful memories in there of signing up for for the pain even though you know technically there was an option to avoid it and it's hard
0: to miss out on events that take place out of doors talk about increasing isolation and also losing your ability to socialize and connect with others and really challenging being invited to an outdoor wedding for example that's exactly right and
3: yeah at this point in my life you know i've learned certain ways to playfully say no or or decline if it's sort of easiest that way or or if it's likely to if the price being paid is affordable from a from a social standpoint or (laughs) uh, and i think you know a lot of people uh, are sort of Forced to learn how to do that, but it is a very difficult aspect of the of the disease is uh, knowing you might yeah. be missing out on something, or again, just another affirmation of me being different than, than other people. You know, oh, yeah. we were we were all kind of on the same page yeah. when we were you know hanging out and uh, breaking bread, you know, inside over mm-hmm. lunch. But as soon as people want to go for a walk outside, it's, you know, that divide comes back down.
0: Being different. It hasn't changed from when you were a boy. I am going to guess that there's a continuous stream of people that you need to explain this to.
3: You know, that's a difficult thing to navigate, deciding who to tell and when and what context. This feeling of being less than or of not being as good as I still defend against. And so, you know, anything that might incite pity, that's something I generally (laughs) tend to avoid. Has it
0: been an issue in romantic relationships? You know, people, when they hear about it and... I've been very fortunate
3: to have loving and supportive yeah. partners in, in mm-hmm. my life. I think it's always been probably more of an issue in my mind than it is in, in their <laughs> mind. Uh, but I think I always sort of just assume that, you know, it would be something that might be a deal breaker for someone or, or just a total bummer at yeah, the at good. the very least, which I totally understand. I would love someone that I can go to the beach with or go on hikes mm-hmm. with. It has been right. a factor to consider in romantic relationships, but fortunately it has not been an inhibiting factor yeah. Yeah. in any yeah. major way. Good,
0: I'm really glad to hear that and that there are other good people like you out there who are not living with EPP, but who understand that we all have a struggle of one sort of another and this is yours. So Jay, you've been enormously generous with your time for us and it's been fascinating in terms of thinking about life with epp and we're so appreciative of your sharing your story with us it's
3: an absolute honor to to be able to talk about it in this context and thank you so much for your kindness and understanding and insightful questions it's been yeah it's been a real pleasure
1: Jay is an incredibly lovely person. I can see why Amy wants her daughters to marry him. Yeah,
0: I love that. Good good thinking, Amy.
1: Jay had a comfortable, calm way of explaining EPP that could be really difficult to talk about, and he um, shared that with us so generously. Oh,
0: I have a lot of thoughts about uh, what Jay shared with us. First of all, the invisibility of EPP to the outside world. I think it's always difficult when other people cannot see what's going on with you, and particularly living with EPP, which takes so much care and caution about sunlight. I keep thinking about how Jay says, you know, we're a nation of sun worshipers, and I think that's really true that most of us have such positive associations with sunlight. And Jay's associations are anxiety-provoking, how he has to use of his brain all of the time to think about and plan how to avoid exposure to sunlight. Although Jay just seems so well-rounded, mature, calm, but it was not lost on me how he said that he's experienced shame and disgust from living with EPP. That this has really been a very difficult journey for him.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, David. He did a nice job of explaining how EPP is not a physical condition, but really it's also an emotional condition as well. Certainly, Jay seems well adapted and has really over the years worked to understand how to manage his condition. He
0: mentions about how dusk is kind of liberating for him because finally he could actually be out of doors without direct sunlight and enjoy a little bit of the day without having to worry so much. That worrying, anxiety, monitoring constantly about the location of the sun and his exposure to sun just is a huge burden. Let's just say it straight out.
1: It's so consuming. I keep visualizing him when he was talking about wearing long sleeves and gloves and a mask and a wide brim hat. That's a really dramatic Um, description, having to adjust to avoiding exposure to the sun, it can be really, really isolating. And Jay explained that in a variety of different ways, how this condition can really limit his life and his ability to interact and engage with others. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. To hear... Uh, how much of his time is occupied by planning not to be exposed by the sun and the real harm done to him, permanent harm, we realize that there is a great need for effective treatment for this condition. This condition really interferes with living life as most of us are accustomed to. I'm really hopeful that better treatment becomes available soon for people living with EPP.
1: Thank you, David. Thank you, Jay and Bavik for helping us learn about EPP. And thank you to our producer, Amy Brooks. To learn more about EPP, visit the United Porphyrias Association at porphyria.org. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and write to us with any comments or suggestions at onrare at bridgebio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and please join us for our next conversation on Rare.